Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Monday, June 29th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a barber who's invented a new, safe way to give people haircuts. The son who embarked on an 85-day solo trip across the Atlantic Ocean to get to his dad's 90th birthday after the coronavirus canceled all flights. An experiment in Australia that's been running for almost a hundred years. Why we sometimes feel strangely aggressive impulses towards pets and babies that we find unbearably cute. And a website that helps you virtually relive your daily commute. Here are some of the good things from the news today. Even with barber shops and hair salons reopening in towns across the U.S., many of us still don't feel it's completely safe just yet to go get a haircut. One barber in New Jersey has invented something that he hopes will help. He calls it Shields on Wheels, and it's basically like a big curved barrier about six feet tall and three or four feet wide. It's made of wood and plexiglass with a small opening in the middle where the barber's hands can go in to cut a customer's hair from a safe distance and while keeping them both safe from transmission. And the curved barrier is on wheels so that the barber can move it around the chair throughout the haircut. Edwin Ramirez, the inventor, is a barber and owner of a barbershop called 201 Styles. He's also a woodworker and graphic designer, so when he had to close up shop during lockdown, he turned to those other hobbies to find a way to make sure he could safely reopen the barbershop as soon as possible. And though his shop has not yet been able to reopen, he's tested and modified the shield enough to start selling it and has so far received over 300 orders from around the country and over 100 from other nations. One order even came in from a doctor in South Africa. So even though Ramirez designed the shields on wheels specifically with haircuts in mind, including working on adding chargers and hooks for items like blow dryers and trimmers, I could see how this might become a popular item for a number of industries, and maybe like dentistry? I don't know, something like that. Regardless, it's quite well designed, and hopefully Ramirez is able to keep up with demand and help out a lot of people. I wouldn't mind seeing something like this becoming the norm for a while. Don't bother trying to compete with Juan Manuel Bachistero for the Best Son Award, because he will definitely win. Argentinian Bachistero got stuck in Portugal when lockdown began. Argentina had banned all international flights, and that left Bachistero with only one option to get back home in time for his father's 90th birthday. He'd have to travel across the Atlantic by sailboat. That might sound pretty extreme, especially when you find out that he was staying on a tiny island off the coast of Portugal that had no known cases of coronavirus, so why not just stay there? But Bachistero was worried the virus was the beginning of the end of the world and couldn't bear being away from his family at the time. Plus, he's a seasoned sailor, having joined his father on fishing vessels since the age of three and spending most of his own adult life traveling the world via boat. Still, a solo journey across the ocean is a pretty dangerous endeavor nonetheless, especially during a pandemic. When he was preparing to leave, Portugal warned him that he may not be allowed back in the country if he ran into trouble and had to turn back. And a few weeks into his journey on his 29-foot sailboat, authorities in Cape Verde denied him access to the island where he had been planning to dock while he fueled up and bought more food. He was then forced to keep moving along with less fuel and food than originally accounted for. 
Over the 85-day journey, he experienced loneliness unlike ever before. He says he turned to God, to whiskey, and to the nature around him for solace, eventually being unable to fish anymore because the thought of killing the animals who had kept him company was unbearable, even to a lifelong fisherman. Towards the end of the journey, he experienced a brutal storm that forced him to stop for 10 days in Vitoria, Brazil. From there, he kept on going, finally making it to his hometown of Mar del Plata on June 17th. He had missed his father's 90th birthday, but after a COVID-19 test and a 72-hour quarantine, he made it home for Father's Day. And despite all of the struggles that he went through, Bachistero says that he intends to keep on sailing. Have you ever witnessed someone playfully bite at their puppy's ears or pretend to nibble at a baby? How about even just the phrase, you're so cute I could just eat you up? This impulse, it turns out, has a name. Cute aggression. Basically, when we see something cute, our brains go on a quote, neurochemical roller coaster, attempting to find balance, which results in bizarre displays toward the object of cuteness. And it has a purpose to help us take care of the cute, often helpless being. Quoting The Atlantic, Catherine Stavropoulos, a professor at the University of California at Riverside, used EEG caps to test brain activity as participants were shown a series of images of puppies and babies with varying levels of cuteness, according to the theory of kinder schema, which are the set of traits such as big eyes and little noses that human brains seem to be wired to find adorable. After each set of images, participants were asked to fill out a survey that inquired about, among other things, feelings of caretaking. The results were clear, Stavropoulos says. The brain's emotion and reward systems are both involved, but cute aggression flared up specifically when the reward center was overwhelmed. The puppy's tiny paws are just too much on a chemical level. If babies could take care of themselves, it wouldn't matter so much that adults often experience paralyzing reactions to how adorable they are. Because babies are dependent on us for their well-being, though, it's important on an evolutionary level that we're able to snap out of it. That's where cute aggression seems to come in. The surveys filled out by participants showed that the reaction was also heavily linked to feeling a caretaking urge toward a cute thing. That may indicate cute aggression is our brain's attempt to balance an overwhelmed neurological response. A baby can't survive alone, but if you're so overwhelmed by how cute it is and how much you love it, then you can't take care of it, and that baby won't survive, she says, end quote. Oriana Aragon, a Clemson University researcher and the author of the 2015 Yale study that first identified the phenomenon of cute aggression, calls this dimorphous expression, or any emotional response that can present in two ways. She points out that people who act on their cute aggression by, say, smushing their face against a baby's, come down off the intensity of cuteness overload more quickly than those that don't. And that's good, because it means they're resuming caretaking duties more quickly, and not being distracted by passive cooing over the baby. Interestingly, Aragon's team also found that when people feel that cuteness overload for a baby that they know they're not supposed to grab, they experience dimorphous expression as cute sadness rather than cute aggression. Think of someone awing at a stranger's baby on the street. Quoting again, The awe expression with a downturned mouth and crumpled face sends a signal to the baby and the other people that you just want to regard the baby, savor the baby, and take that baby in, she says. The same process happens with other reward stimuli, like a good meal. At first, you anticipate it and you dive into your food, and then you sit back, slow down, and savor. 
According to Aragon, cute aggression is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to understanding dimorphous expression, which occurs in a variety of scenarios, such as when someone is awed by the beauty of nature or overwhelmed by the thrill of victory. Disgust and pain seem to have special properties about pulling away from the stimulus, whereas tears seem to be about stopping to savor, and aggression seems to be about the urge of pursuit, she says. Research on emotion expression has historically been that of one-to-one -one correlations, Aragon says, so dimorphous expression represents a whole new phase in understanding how we socially negotiate our feelings, end quote. And Stavropoulos adds that understanding dimorphous expression could have huge benefits in therapeutic practices and understanding caretaking more deeply. At the intersection of both of those would be more effectively understanding and treating conditions like postpartum depression. So next time you cringe at someone nibbling at their puppy's face, just remember that they're evolutionarily wired to do so, and they could hold the key to improving the way we understand our brains and each other. In Brisbane, Australia, there is an experiment that has been running nonstop for almost 100 years. Called the Pitch Drop Experiment, it was begun in 1927 by physicist Thomas Parnell. The goal? To prove that pitch, or tar, is a liquid, not a solid, as it appears to be at room temperature. In 1927, Parnell heated a sample of bitumen, a tar-like substance, poured it into a sealed funnel, and then waited three years for the pitch to settle to his liking. He then broke the seal at the bottom of the funnel and waited eight more years for the first drip to drop. He only recorded one other drip in his lifetime, and that was in 1947. The experiment kept going after his death in 1948, however, and has now dripped a total of nine times. The University of Queensland maintains a website with a webcam stream of the funnel eagerly awaiting the 10th drip, which they say should happen in about 14 years. Though, full disclosure, I couldn't get the website to work in any browser that I tried it on, so don't get your hopes up too much. Now, while we can't draw any conclusions, since the experiment is not technically over, I think it's safe to say that Professor Parnell has proven his point that pitch is indeed a liquid, even though it has been calculated to be roughly 230 billion times more viscous than water. The experiment has been named the longest-running lab experiment by the Guinness World Records, and there is enough pitch inside the funnel to keep it going another hundred years at least. And finally today, it sounds a little weird to say this, but if you are a driver who has found yourself missing your commute, there's an app for that. It's a new site called Drive and Listen that streams videos of cars driving through various cities around the world and pairs it with local radio stations and ambient street noise that you can toggle on and off. The videos are pulled from 4K dashcam videos on YouTube, which you can view the source for at any time if you're curious where it came from. There are over 50 cities around the world to choose from, from Chicago to Seoul to Havana, and it looks like they're adding more cities all the time. Even if they don't have a city close to you to mirror to your own personal commute experience, it's still a cool way to explore other cities around the world and see what the roads are like there. The cities are paired with live feeds from select local radio stations, so it's also cool to hear what the radio is like in different parts of the world. As someone who grew up driving but hasn't had a car for 10 years, I can't tell you how much I am genuinely digging this website. 
It was created by Erkam Secker, a student from Istanbul currently working on his master's in Munich. He told Lonely Planet, quote, I was missing riding around my city, even the traffic and the fuss of daily life, so I found myself watching videos of Istanbul online. It was so fun to see my city, but I thought, why not listen to some radio in the background to get the whole riding in cars experience? I realized that other people around the world must be missing that experience of being on the road. At first, I made the app to somehow suppress the feeling of missing home, but now I also see it as a new way of exploring cities. It's an amazing experience to see new places together with some local tunes on the radio in the comfort of your home. I also think it helps us become more patient in these days of lockdown, end quote. One suggestion for you, since the Ride Home Podcast Network was designed around the idea that you would listen to our shows on your ride home from work each evening, hence why these shows go live by 5 p.m. Eastern each day, maybe uh, click your favorite city on the site and pause the radio stream and queue up this podcast, followed by the Gaming Ride Home and the Tech Meme Ride Home. Just a suggestion, however you choose to enjoy it. Again, it is called Drive and Listen, and the link is in the show notes. That is about all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you had a good start to your week, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.